Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Tothy, you know that I am a huge history fan, right? Mm-hmm. And high up on my list of most admired leaders is Winston Churchill. Well, Churchill is a solid choice, Mike, for any history nerd like you. And yes, I do know you are quite a history nerd. Um, But where are you going with this? Because uh, I know you're a history nerd, but I don't know. I can't guess where you and Mr. Churchill are heading on this particular topic. All right. So here's my somewhat admittedly uh, free association here, Tothi. Churchill wrote While England Slept, which was published in 1938. And that book focused on Britain's lack of preparation for a German threat Ah. leading up to World War II, right? And so I was really reminded of this book when I I sat down and spoke to our guest today, Rosemary Gibson. Ah, yes. So I, I get it now. This is a, sort of a sleeping threat um, that's going on in you because you interviewed Rosemary Gibson about her new book, China Rx, and uh, your reference to Churchill's book makes it sound pretty ominous. So should I be concerned about this? Should we all be concerned? In a word, yes. Very oh. frightening. Uh-oh. Tell me more about that. So Rosemary's reported on the almost complete outsourcing of production of the active ingredients in antibiotics in several other mainline classes of medications. Uh, This is shocking to me, and I think you're really going to want to sit down for this episode. So you're saying that um, most of the active ingredients in antibiotics we use in the U.S. are outsourced to China? That's right. China is producing, um, and when I say majority, I should probably say vast majority. You'll hear Mm -hmm. from um, uh, from from Rosemary that it's uh, north of eighty percent. Wow. Well, that sounds ominous (laughs) to use the word previously, and you have uh, my full attention and probably that of the listeners too. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what Rosemary has to say about this. But uh, first, before we go to the sort of scary side, let's keep it light and do word of the show. So we kind of make it happy as we lead into ominous territory. Good good call on that one, Tothi. All right. Lay lay it on me. The word of the show is tomial tooth. It is Mm. the part of a falcon's bill used to break its prey's neck. Ooh, what do you think? I, I, I like that one. You know, all avian references are, are, are welcome at this end, but that somehow captures a real um, predatory uh, streak that seems unfortunately appropriate for uh, today's interview. Yep. So with that in mind, let's move uh, right into our talk with Rosemary Gibson. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, Mike, thanks for having me. I'm very excited about today's interview on a number of different levels. Now, Rosemary, when I began preparing for this interview, my son became ill. He's a, a freshman in college, and he went to the student health services and was uh, given some, some antibiotic. In all likelihood, where were the active ingredients of my son's medication produced? Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, one of the discoveries I've made while researching for the book China Rx is that 
we can't make penicillin anymore in the United States. The last penicillin plant closed in 2004, and that's when I figured out from people who provided me with good data that a handful of Chinese companies came in on the global market and drove out all the U.S. and Indian um, penicillin fermentation plants. Mm. So we so we can't make it. And as for other antibiotics, Mike, I've been asking good people in the industry, do we have any you know, these big plants that do fermentation for antibiotics? And nobody can think of any in the continental United States. And this sounds like it dates back a while if it was 04, right? That's right. In fact, um, in 2001, a lot of your listeners will remember the anthrax attacks in New York and D.C. and in the post offices, and when the federal government needed to buy very large quantities of doxycycline, which is a known antidote for anthrax exposure, um, the U.S. government got it from a good company in Europe. I interviewed the CEO, and he said he had to get the starting material from a plant in China. So this happened probably in the late 90s and early 2000s. That by all accounts, we've lost our ability to make really important antibiotics. So the raw, to answer your question, the raw material to make the antibiotic um, probably came from China. I found one penicillin plant in Austria run by Sandoz. Interesting. But the, the others are predominantly um, Chinese companies. And in, in your book, China Rx, I, I learned that it's not just antibiotics, is it, um, is it, Rosemary? I mean, it sounds like there are a variety of medications coming out of China. Uh, that's right. In fact, I'm sure a lot of your listeners will be aware of uh, a shortage happening that I think is going to get really quite concerning, a shortage of heparin, this uh, blood thinner widely used in hospitals. And that's because China has a really dominant global market share of pigs, that's where the raw material comes from to make heparin. Mm -hmm. And there's a disease that's just wiping out huge numbers of the pig population there. And so already we're beginning to see companies that are carefully allocating, or dare I use the word rationing, uh, supplies of heparin. And this is going to be with us for a while, given the um, deep intensity of the loss of the raw material uh, in China. Well, and it seems to speak to the fragility of the overall system if there are uh, some kind of a swine problem in China jeopardizes uh, medical care in the United States. Would you agree? Oh, I agree. And what we've done uh, is really allow a single country, whatever country it may be, to narrow, to centralize our global supply and the supply for our country in a single country. And you know, we wouldn't do that with oil. We wouldn't do that with food. We wouldn't put all of our eggs in largely one basket. And we shouldn't do it for medicine. So one of the recommendations in China Rx is we really need to diversify you know, the sourcing of these products. And if we have to create new, um, new I call, I'm using my favorite term now, industrial base, new manufacturing capability, um, in other countries and certainly here at home. Mm. 
Rosemary, it's my understanding that, that some in the, the pharma industry use the, the term finish and fill to denote the packaging of active ingredients of medications. For purposes of regulation and FDA oversight, does this concept matter at all? Well, um, what I'm hearing you uh, say is the finish and fill. That sounds to me like the end work of a medication and getting it ready for market. It's taking the active ingredient and uh, turning it into a finished drug, packaging it, and then preparing it for distribution. But what I did in China RX, and I had you know, no intention of writing a book on this subject, I just stumbled on it, is we have to go upstream. So where the ingredients come to make these, the finished drugs. And it's not just the you know, intermediate ingredients. You know, where do the basic chemical molecules come from? And to China's credit, they established a very robust you know, industry in the pharmaceutical chemical space and the chemical space generally. And U.S. companies just couldn't compete with lower prices and also you know, lower regulation. But the, the, the one dis big discovery I made is that it's not just lower prices that, makes, that has allowed this to happen. A handful of Chinese companies really, they, they form cartels, small numbers of firms. And then they, set, the, the term is dumping, they dump it on the global market at a below market price and they keep it low until their competitors can't survive and they leave the market. And then they drive the price up. So there's something else going on here besides just lower cost. There's a clear strategy and you know, China's come out and said we want to be the pharmacy to the world. And they're very much on track to become that, including for us. So I think you just anticipated my, my next question because I was interested if it was just lower cost of, of production or if the, the Chinese government had really taken an active role and incentivized uh, firms uh, within uh, PRC for specific types of pharmaceutical production. And it sounds like that's what, what you're telling me. Uh, that's right, Mike. Uh, one of the discoveries that I uh, made while working on this is a, a company in the United States or in Western Europe, they're really competing not with companies in China, they're competing with the Chinese government because the Chinese government is spending billions to subsidize its domestic industry. And that's a really hard thing to do for uh, a company here in the U.S. or elsewhere to compete with that. I, I, would, I would agree. Are you aware of projected ramp-up times uh, to make certain types of antibiotics in the United States I'm thinking if we wanted to remedy the situations that you've been describing in, uh, describe in, in China Rx, how, how long is it, is it going to, to take to put um, something together? Well, there's, uh, I think there's something that can be done in the short term, Mike, and then medium term. Let's start with the short term. I've been uh, following very carefully a nonprofit group that was started by uh, the Mayo Clinic and a thousand other hospitals here in the U.S. and three philanthropies called Civica RX, and they are formed to 
deal with the shortages that hospitals face every day and shortages of really life-saving medicines, including last resort antibiotics. So within one year of their startup, they've delivered to their member hospitals a product that is really important in, in, in shortage, injectable vancomycin. Hmm. And they uh, found a, a company in Europe, a Danish company, that agreed to make the core ingredient, the active ingredient. And then they're turning that into a finished product at a plant in Ohio. So in this strategy, um, hospitals are looking for alternative trustworthy suppliers. And they're doing something really smart. They're not paying a race to the bottom price. They're paying a fair price, mm -hmm. which is actually lower than the price you'd pay for a drug that's in shortage. Because when it's in shortage, it costs more. Sure. And if I'm a manufacturer, they're giving long-term contracts uh, to these new, new suppliers and manufacturers. So that's one way. But there's a medium-term strategy that's needed that really looks at how, where do we get the raw material to make antibiotics like penicillin and to build, rebuild a fermentation uh, facility. These are huge complexes, and it would take several years for them to be built and then get approved by the FDA. And this is, for the, this is the raw material which is needed to make the key ingredient and then the finished product. So I think there's a sequencing here of what we can do. So in the short term, we can have some really great wins, really important for patients and for doctors and those who care for them, and frankly, those who lead hospitals, because these shortages are really, a, really troubling. But there are solutions out there that are emerging like this. But for the longer term, we're going to need big investment, and I think that'll have to be a public-private partnership. Agreed. What about items needed for healthcare other than pharmaceuticals? Does does China have the market cornered on rubber gloves or needles or medical devices, things other than pharmaceuticals? Uh, they do have a dramatic um, market share for a lot of healthcare-related products. A lot of people will remember the Ebola uh, outbreak and you know, patients coming here and being cared for in U.S. hospitals. And there was a huge demand for protective gear. And as I wrote in China Rx, there was a U.S.-based company, and it ramped up production in China to try to meet the demand. Now, is that a, that's convenient, but in the long term, is that where we want to be if we have some some you know national security or other type of event here? Do we need to have some capacity to make those products here in the U.S.? And I have to ask the question: you know, who's checking the quality of those gowns and gloves? Are are they really impermeable to fluids and made the way they should be? And we're also seeing uh, China ramp up medical device production. If, if they're not here already, I anticipate that there'll be hip and knee implants coming from China into the U.S. And who's testing those? Are they being made the proper way? These are really big questions. And then, you know, 
Um, China's ramping up production of CT scanners. And I can imagine that eventually they'll be exported here to the U.S. The question is, what will the quality be and who will be checking? The FDA doesn't do that. So who will be checking? It's a, it's a, a good question that needs to be needs to be asked. So, so far, Rosemary, we've been discussing production, whether it's of CT scanners, antibiotics, so forth. But I, I now want to shift focus a little bit to research and development. Is China equally active in, in that area? Uh, China is really ramping up very quickly uh, in their R&D space. And there's been billions of dollars from U.S. and other Western companies that have been invested in R&D in China to serve that market. I will say in China RX, I focused mostly on generic drugs, Mike, mm -hmm. because that's 90% of our medicines, our bread and butter. But we are going to be increasingly seeing uh, products cause, uh, from China or partnering with China because the government really wants to get into that space and become a global leader. All right. So, so obviously, all of this has national security implications to the United States and our allies, remaining allies. Has medication security been addressed by NATO? I'm not aware if it has or hasn't been addressed by NATO, but I will say here in the United States, there was a hearing last week in the House Energy and Commerce Health Subcommittee and the focus was on national security and our global supply chain with a focus on China. And without a doubt, on both sides, members of Congress who participated in that hearing appeared to really see this as a very significant uh, national security issue. You know, just think if there's a, a global pandemic, you know, any country that makes antibiotics would probably want to keep a lot of that for themselves. I agree, and arguably should, right? First obligation sure, to their own citizens. Sure. So um, what are the risks of that? And look at the anthrax um, uh, antidotes for anthrax exposure. Do we really want a single country to have the, be the dominant producer of that? Or if there's a natural disaster, an earthquake, or a Fukushima-type event, you know, we, again, we wouldn't do that for oil. We wouldn't have... You know, 80% of the world's oil refineries in a single country. It just doesn't make sense. So we have to you know, relook at this. And I'm really pleased to see that there are a number of people in different parts of the U.S. government that have been reading China RX and are quickly moving to see where our vulnerabilities are. But we need to put a system in place and, frankly, a forecasting and prediction system to know where we are at risk. Away from, from NATO, Back to the issue of Chinese government, or, or at least uh, firms, selling it below production costs, dumping, to, to drive out competition is what I, I understood. Has this been addressed by the World Trade Organization? Uh, no, it hasn't. Uh, and it really hasn't been addressed by our own U.S. government. And it's been fascinating to see that many people in both the executive branch and the legis legislative branch have not been aware of uh, this vulnerability. 
but the good news is, um, and I'm grateful to China RX and the reception it's had because it really is um, uh, having an impact and people are beginning to look at what are these vulnerabilities. You know, the U.S. Defense Department, they are dependent on China for uh, the ingredients and some really important medicines. There was a retired lieutenant colonel who spoke at a U.S.-China Commission hearing where I also testified in the summer. Very distinguished gentleman, and he got he had different blood pressure medicines with rocket fuel compounds in them. That was the source of all the blood pressure medicine recalls. And he mm-hmm. said, if I'm getting it, then our active duty military people are getting this. So that really sounded um, an alarm and really uh, engaged people who are looking at this from a national security perspective, which is very welcome and a little bit overdue, but we're getting started at least. Well, certainly China RX has been the uh, fire bell in the night. Um, Let's talk about cellular therapies because they hold uh, tremendous promise for future of, of medicine. Does a more individualized approach to treatment using cellular therapy, stem cell treatments, for example, uh, offer speed bumps to China's approach to um, being the pharmacy of the world? That's an interesting question, Mike. I, I confess I haven't looked at those therapies or the implications of that for medicines that are um, will be used uh, in the future here in this country. But it's a great question, and it would be great Sounds to hear like people talk about the answer. Something to, something to think about. Some commodities in the United uh, States are, are so important that we, we stockpile them. For example, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Is there an equivalent for medications? Uh, yes, there is the Strategic National Stockpile, and that contains a, a lot of uh, equipment as well as uh, medications. And I, uh, a question to begin to ask is where does that come from? And if we need to replenish it, where does it come from? And, and who, is in, who is in charge of, of that, the decisions? That that now com- yeah, that now comes under the Department of Health and Human Services and the Assistant Secretary Office for Emergency Preparedness. And that's really meant for regional, more localized events, it's not meant to be a substitute for this very large commercial supply chain we have for generic drugs. So it's more of a, a stopgap deal with an, a regionalized epicritic problem where we That's, need to focus in on one area, but not a prolonged overall lack of a medication. Is that fair? Uh, that's fair, yes. Interesting. There seems to be, and, and maybe I'm wrong on this, and certainly correct me, there seems to be some resistance to naming countries of origins for, for medication. I know when I'm at my, my grocery store, the, when I'm buying food, it, it's required to be labeled where, where that food came from, right? Uh, the shrimp are coming from Thailand, for, for example. Why the opposition? Who's leading the opposition to the extent that it exists for um, identifying countries of origin for medication? Uh, There was a proposed country of origin legislation about 10 years ago here in the United States, but it didn't make it through. And there's a thought, well, these are trade secrets. 
But what we're seeing is that now Chinese domestic companies have about close to 9% of the share of all the generic drugs being sold here in in this country. And I have photos of their labels, and I use them in my uh, presentations when I give talks. And China is very, you know, proud to put its name on these products and the company that made it mm-hmm. and how it's distributed here. Uh, but we just don't see that here on the U.S. side. And I wonder if it's because, you know, ninety. there was the latest poll I've seen is that about 95% of Americans don't trust medicines coming from China. And, and do you believe that that has to do with some of the other reports that have come out with things, maybe not medicinal in nature, but dog food that's been contaminated and so forth? Uh, the dog food issue really sticks in people's minds. When China RX came out, I got a lot of emails and comments from the public saying, I remember when thousands of dogs and cats died in this country because of um, an industrial chemical that was put in pet food came from China. And people wonder now, well, why are we getting medicines from there? So the trust issue is really quite pronounced. And I I really, I have to say that, you know, in just 10 years, uh, China got about 9% of the share of all the generic drugs being sold in the U.S. We're talking about HIV AIDS medicine, birth control pills, um, medicine for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, epilepsy, diabetes, metformin, I predict in the next 10 years, they'll be up to at least 20% share of all the finished generic drugs that are sold here. And that's only going to keep growing if we don't, uh, don't do anything. And, and that, that's finished drugs. Am I right to assume that if we talk about active ingredients in other medications uh, that are perhaps assembled elsewhere, that the number could be higher than, than 9 or 20%? Well, certainly in terms of finished drugs, it's 9% headed up to 20, I believe. But there are thousands of medicines right now, generic drugs, that might be made by U.S. and Western companies that contain raw material and other ingredients that come, that come from China. In fact, one of the really surprising findings, Mike, when I was researching the China RX book, A lot of people know India as a really big generic producer, and about 25% of our generic drugs are made in India. But the the shocker was how dependent India is on China for the raw material and the chemical building blocks to make their generic drugs. So if you think, you know, they're coming from India, if India's industry didn't get those products, their industry would collapse within weeks. So all roads lead to China. In 1906, Upton Sinclair published The Jungle. You may remember it kick-started reform of the meat packing industry. And I have to say, I hope that China RX is the modern incarnation of the jungle. Um, Since publication in 2018 of your book, Rosemary, have you seen signs that our country has begun addressing the issue? I have been very um, heartened to to know that members of Congress are reading the book, people in government agencies, in senior positions whose responsibility this 
this is. They are reading it and asking questions, and that's a great start. And there's an urgency, not just national security, but understanding China. And, you know, it's, some people may think, well, our trade kerfuffle in China could do something to us. I was uh, talking with um, people in Europe. In fact, there's a Dutch documentary done by the local you know, public television group there in the Netherlands. And a former industry person said, you know, even here in the Netherlands, we're concerned that China could hold back supply of our medicines, and they're not in any trade kerfuffle. So it's, you know, when you control medicines, you really control the world. You go back and you look at history. Just in World War One and World War Two, between England and Germany, you know, food was used as a weapon of war. Sure. They wanted to st- starve people, and hundreds of thousands of people died in Germany because of a blockade by England. They remembered what happened during World War One when the reverse was true. Our medicines can be used in lots of ways that we never thought could be used. So we need to really think about this and have some self-sufficiency. And it sounds like from your comment that, that China RX has been picked up and read by or is being read by some some members of, of Congress. That's heartening to know that, well, one, that they read it all, and two, that they're actually reading China RX. So that I'm looking for some good news here, Rosemary. Yeah. I'll and, take you know, that I, as good news. Well, I do too, Mike. It's a start. <laughs> and I think it also people who are leaders in healthcare. Now, these are the things that you need for the business continuity of your organization. And Absolutely. And I, I, I would hope that there's a, an opportunity in, that, in this community of leaders to come to know about this. And what do we need to do as an industry so we're not very, cut short? Very, very well said. I think it's important to point out as we're, we're wrapping up uh, here, Rosemary, to, to our, our listeners, um, that, that you have no financial incentive in this, correct? That's right. Um, I'm glad you asked that, Mike. I, I spent three years researching this and a year and a half writing it, and I, have, I don't take money from the industry or government. I saw this issue that is so important for the health of our nation, and we also donate proceeds to good causes. So this is purely in the interest of all of us. And I trust it. it's something that could bring us all together to fix. And we've got to get going and fix it fast. And I have well, faith there's a lot of good signs that we can and will. All right. Well, let's, let's end on, on a note of you giving us some, some recommendations or some game plan, something that listeners can feel like they can do to follow the issue and help, uh, help improve uh, the situation. Because what has been described is, is dire and requires action. It, it really is dire. Well, uh, first, uh, there's a, for individuals who are listening, what can you do? There is an appendix in China RX with information on how you might be able to find out where your medicines are coming from. And as a country, I think it's just raising uh, awareness and call, you know, read China RX share it with your colleagues. I know there was a, a group that shared it with their C-suite and their board. And then uh, talk to their uh, trade associations, their membership groups, learn more about this, and then engage with members of, of Congress and 
other elected officials and the executive branch and say, what do we need to do here? And what, and what can we do? And what's the role of us working together to fix this? Well said. It falls in the civic responsibility category for, for all of us, I think. It, it really but, does. That, that's nicely said, Mike. Thank you. Well, we have been, been speaking with Rosemary Gibson, author of China Rx. I cannot thank you enough for your time today, but even more so for taking the time and doing such a thoughtful, well-written um, expose of the problem of medications coming out of China. Rosemary, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Mike. Wow, Mike, that was a powerful and pretty scary interview with Rosemary. Right. I mean, she has really identified a high-risk situation for us, hasn't she, in U.S. healthcare? Really very, very scary and um, almost unimaginable that we've allowed things to get to this, um, to this state. So right it'll now. be interesting to see how we handle things from here. I, I, I agree, and I hope that uh, her recommendations are, are followed, but only time will tell. And I guess while we're speaking of time, Tothi, we're unfortunately out of it. I hope people have, yes. I hope people have enjoyed uh, our interview with Rome, Rosemary Gibson. If you did, please consider rating us on our website, soundpracticepodcast.com, or on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Yep, we would like that. We are looking for those uh, ratings. Um, helps us out a lot. And if you'd like to give us feedback directly or make a suggestion about the podcast or perhaps a future guest or topic, Email us directly at feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com. Please join us next time on Sound Practice. Don't forget, we release an episode every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Had his holy cow, but man Robin went for Kapow.